we'll finish up our series on finding financial freedom. And that's really what it's about, freedom. You have financial peace and freedom. There's two words that uh, don't often get put together with finances, but I think as a believer that they're supposed to, and you can actually experience that. And so uh, this is what we were trying to help. Is, uh, now, put it in the big context. What are we doing in 2019? 2019 as a church, we've been looking at uh, how do we uh, worship God, right? Worship is whatever our life revolves around. That's what you worship. And whatever's at the core that really impacts the decisions that you make, that is what you worship. So some people, it's family, or it could be business, or it could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of great uh, things. Some people, it's their hobbies, whatever it is, uh, if it's whatever's at the center of your life that you change your schedule around, you change your spending habits, you change, you know, what you do, how you spend your life, that is what you worship. Now, the problem is, and for us in life, is that, that most things are too small, right? They don't have the gravitational pull to hold our lives together. We, our life revolves around something that is much too tiny, and, uh, and so then our life spins off course, and we get in all kinds of issues, right? There is one person, there's one that, that actually uh, can hold us together, and that is the Lord, right? That's Christ. So in our life, we, as Christians this year, we really want to be able to put Christ at center so that our world, our lives really revolve around Him. And we find that when we do that, everything kind of comes together, right? Our, our world actually holds together in a really right and good way. So this year, this is what it's all about. Everything that we're doing is really how do we put taking Christ in a very real and practical way, putting Him at the center of our lives. We can worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what we're about, right? In Scripture, we find that there are three things, practical ways in Scripture that God talks about how we worship Him, right? There are three things that we can, we can uh, gauge our worship, but also help us put our worship into practice. The first one is our time, right? The scripture talks about things like a Sabbath, right? It talks about coming together like you're doing today. Corporate worship is part of that. Our quiet times, our time with God, that's a really big thing. If God is not sent in our life, then we have an issue, right? And so we worship with time. The other one is, next one is talents, right? The abilities that God has given us, Right? If we are spending our life just on selfish pursuits, all of my gifts, all of my abilities are just about me, right? then we really aren't worshiping God with our talents. But God has given each of us, he calls us all ministers. He's given us abilities, given you gifts to do to, to pour into this world and to build others up according to their needs. It's called ministry. Right? And so we want to make sure that we're worshiping God in ministry. Well, the last one is our treasure with our money. Scripture talks a lot about this. Jesus talked about money second most about anything else he talked about. Why? <laughs> It's a very practical part of our life, right? And so we want to make sure that we have God at center with our money. And so we talked about things like tithes and things like this, right? Um, how we give, living generously, how we're stewarding God's resources. And that's kind of the focus this year. We're going to start with the easiest of the three, which is money. Then coming Easter, we're really going to focus as a church how we're worshiping God with our talents, with our ministry. And then near the end of the year, we're going to talk about the hardest one, I think, for us Americans is our time, right? So, the every, so we don't want to just do it all at once. This is, there's, a, there's, a, there's a plan to this. But let's start here with money. And that's where we're going to begin. And so uh, through this series thus far, we, we went to the very first thing. We realized that financial freedom, putting God at first in money, we have to have the right understanding at who's really master, right? Who's the true owner? And we had that wonderful memory verse that says, you know, the worth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all his people belong to him, right? That God is the owner. He owns everything and he owns me, right? Having this understanding helps us then to realize that, that it's not about me, that it's, that it's not just my stuff that I direct, but that God gives me everything I need. And then I have a responsibility to be his financial uh, steward, Right? I, I'm going to be able to, to make sure that I'm 
investing his resources in his priorities. And so in order to have financial freedom, first we have to realize that money is not the master, right? That God is, right? And that he's allowed, put us in charge of it. The second thing then, if we're going to be good at not we just understand that, we've got to practice it. And there are two skill sets that we have to master in order to have financial freedom. The first one is faithfulness, right? The second one is competence. If we're not faithful with God's stuff, then there's no way we're going to spend it according to his priorities, right? We're not, it's going to master us, right? So we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago uh, how we begin doing that and how one of the reasons why God gives us the tithe, one of the main reasons is for that thing, to say God wants to care for his bride. He wants to finance his ministry and his care in this world. That's part of it. But he also wants us in our own life to demonstrate that he's first. And so we offered, to, we offered a four-month tithe challenge. We have, what, uh, uh, 30, or sorry, 26 families, uh, almost four, 50 people in our congregation have come together and said, for four months, we're going to do this. We're going to put God at test. We're going to put him at center, right? We're going to really practice our faith in this together. And that's great. That is awesome. And know this, that we are praying for you if you're doing that. And if you haven't joined in that, we will give you an opportunity even today to be able to join in. That's been awesome. And it's been great already hearing some of the stories of how God has really kind of stepped in to and, and, and really profound and true ways in the people's lives as we begin to put him at center. That's great. So faithfulness, we've got to begin there, right? If we're not faithful, then we've missed the whole point. But if you want to be faithful, then you have to also have competence, Right? It's like uh, when I first started having a Sabbath, I tried to take a day off. <laughs> yeah, I was already budgeting all the rest of my time. It was already filled. So when I tried to say, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to take a day and worship God, or I'm going to take a day and recharge and refresh, well, guess what? Um, all that stuff that was already taking that day, tried, it came back and hunted me down and found me, right, and didn't let me have rest that day. In order for me to take a day and actually have a, a Sabbath, I needed to learn how to budget my time, Right? Right? So, so in order to try to master my time first, so that way I could make sure that I was being faithful. And then having that day of rest has produced all kinds of benefits. Right? Well, it's the same thing with our money. If you want to be faithful to God, you want to start with a tithe, you want to make sure that you're, you're still going to have to pay your bills. Right? All of those other things that you're already spending your money on will still be there. So you have to have a plan. You have to learn how to make your money behave, and that's called budgeting, right? That, that's part of what financial peace is all about. It's changing our habits, our behaviors, to make sure that we are intentionally making room for failure, right? He's not going to give you, if you mess up, he gives you like a tiny little bit, and you, you like mismanage that, he's not going to give you a whole bunch, right? What kind of good manager would do that? If, what he does is he gives you enough but he says, here, manage this, and once you master that, he gives you more to be able to, to, be able to, to manage. That's a part of, there's all kinds of stories in Scripture where Jesus talks about this. It's part of the process. We have to be able to realize that God has given you the capacity and the responsibility to master the things that you have. That's as we talked about last week. So if you missed any of those messages, you can find them on funchurch.com on there. If we can help you, we have a great finance team that will help you as well uh, to... Uh, to have some good direction to how to begin putting God at center. And the heart of all of this, especially this series, is not about money. It's about your worship. Are you really putting God at center? You can do all of these things. And before I get into today's message about the, the last thing, how we have this freedom, you have to really hear this. You can, have God, you can be faithful to God and be giving God his tithe and, and, and all of that. You can be faithful in recognizing that, that uh, you, you want to live generously. You can be faithful in having a budget and making sure that you, you're, you're being really good and strict and all those types of things. 
And you could miss the point, right? Look at the Pharisees, which they give us a good example in Scripture. Here are some folks that had time, talent, treasure. They were, they were honoring God by doing those things to the letter, weren't they? I mean, they really had, you know, they were giving their tithes religiously. They were taking God, they were worshiping God with their, with their time. They had their Sabbath religiously, right? Their, their talents, man, their life was all wrapped up in what they did. They were serving God with their, with their abilities religiously, and they missed the mark. They, they, failed, they failed to love God. As we begin with this series, we look at these three areas that we can worship, recognize that just the act itself is not enough. If we are not connecting with God, if you are not putting Him at center because He is real and good, if this is not an act of faith and worship as you're going through this, you're really missing it. We really, this, this time is recognizing that we want to put God at center. So you can have all those things and miss the mark and still not worship God. That said, Scripture is very clear that we really can't say that God is at the center of our life if we're not giving to Him our time, if we're, if we're living our lives only for, for selfish things and we're not using our life for ministry, if, we are not, uh, if we're not centering God being faithful with His finances, we can't really say that we're truly worshiping Him in truth. And so these are important. So that's what we're about. Today, we're going to continue this. We're going to finish, finish this series of us struggle with that keeps us from, from experiencing financial freedom. It's the one thing that most of us uh, find that actually gives us into financial bondage, and that is called debt. And we're going to talk today about how the the Scripture says about debt, what it doesn't say and what it does, and then how we address it and how we can destroy debt so that you can enjoy the financial freedom that God has made for you. Now, in order to do that, of course, we need God's Word to help us, and so we're going to memorize Hebrews 13, 5, which really gives us, I think, the key, and it really has kind of the foundation, theological foundation, that we need to, to work from in order to destroy debt. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. What an amazing promise that is. Think about what you just said. Don't love money. Why? Money oftentimes is our master. A lot of people look for their security in money, right? Their identity in money, right? Their goal is in money, looking for money for the wrong things. And so they love money and money becomes their master. We follow it around like a little puppy dog and it's a mean master, right? It never fully satisfies. Ask somebody when they've had enough money, right? It says, don't have to do that. How? Contentment. Be satisfied with what you have. Contentment, though, has a meaning, has a reason. You can't just tell somebody, be content. Because if it's all up to them, if money is the only thing, if they have it, right, if money goes away, then they're not going to have enough, right? Then they're going to still going to be non-content, right? Because they have to have money to be okay. The reason that we can have contentment, it talks about, for God has said, he's, God is our God is real. I will never fail you. That God said, when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he'll take care of all of those practical needs that you have. Not a joke. Our God is called the living God for a reason. He's not the God of imagination. He's not the God of philosophy. He is a real God. I think sometimes we want to see God in our life, right? But a lot of times we believe somehow deeply that that kind of God, the God who can actually enter into our world and back in the Bible time, they were people like you and me. What happens is we don't see God show up because we never take steps of faithfulness. We never give God an opportunity to show up in our lives. And so then we say, well, we just don't see God. God said he is real. God has said this, I will never fail you. Not oh, you. Brother, sister in Christ, you are God's child. 
He is not the God of the imaginary. When we put him at center, when we seek him first and above all else, you will experience God in your life. And not in some, oh, I have felt a warming in my bosom. No, you're going to see God practically come through for you. That's an amazing thing. God's not joking. Not going to abandon you. God's not going to say you didn't do it good enough. Right? I don't like you today. Right? Oh, I ran out of funds. No, the world's the Lord, everything in it. As long as the world's here, he's got enough to take care of you. He's not going to leave you. When you memorize this, you are saying truth. It's the North North Pole, right? This is the compass for us. Christians, we're not going to experience financial freedom if we don't begin to really own and believe this truth. God has given us enough. And financial freedom begins in that faith and trusting that my God has already given me enough and he will continue to carry me. When we have that foundation, we become dangerous to debt, right? (laughs) Because we recognize that we already live in an amazing freedom. Are you ready this year? As we put God at center, we want to see God in our lives. It leads to something called testimony. I think so many other people in the world have not experienced God. And you know what? They have a right to be skeptical. If they don't see God in our lives, then what right do we have to tell them about him? Right? But when God shows up in your life, when you are living testimony, first person, I've put God my faith to the test, and God has been there, that's powerful. It lets us know that we're not alone, that our hope is far greater. People in this world live in fear of, they live their lives paycheck to paycheck. They live their lives earning and earning and earning, hoping that they'll have enough to to cover today and and maybe some of the, the cares for tomorrow. And you say, my day, today, tomorrow, my eternity are set. And yours could be too. God is real. You know, uh, 80% of Americans right now, today, are in debt. That's a lot. That's a lot of us. And that 43% of Americans, according to the last year, the, um, the statistics that I got from, um, I went to the United States, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the office. It was like the Treasury thing, but this was their report for the state of America spending. I was crazy. 43% of Americans spend more than they make. I That's crazy. That's, that's no wonder we're in debt. When you spend more than you make, eventually you're going to run out of money and you're going to spend other people's money. Problem is, is then you find yourself, then you're a slave to the person that you owe the money to, right? And so you go to work every day and then you pay them an interest and all that kind of stuff. There's a better way that God's given us to live. So let's look about what the Bible says about money. First, but what it doesn't say about money, because this is important. Oftentimes we misapply Scripture, and what it does is it leads us into even greater bondage, theologically. We have to make sure that we understand exactly what Scripture says and what it doesn't say. Some misconceptions. The first misconception about debt is this, what it says about debt. First, the Bible doesn't say debt's a sin. This was huge, especially for Amy and me, because when we first got into debt, we had medical debt, right? And so then it just ballooned, right? We didn't get to choose that. It was by, you know, we often kind of laughed and said it would be more fun if we got to debt, you know, going on like vacations and cruises and things like that and, and buying useless trinkets. But that wasn't our path. Uh, we had other things and it, and it happened and, and it wasn't as much fun. But then we had this debt and then we got around some other Christians and then they made us feel really guilty about having debt. And this is a verse that was used as a bludgeon against us that we felt horrible about. It was Romans 13, 8 was this. It says, oh, nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of the law, of God's law. And so uh, we had that, that verse used against us 
and say, okay, you have these medical things, you have medical bills, but God's word says don't owe anything, anybody anything. So I thought I was sinful, and here I'm a pastor, and I felt this was this horrible thing, and so I had this shame, and the shame kept me from really being able to express it, to talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ to receive help or anything like that, so we kind of tried to handle anything on our own, and it just made me really upset with God because the more I tried to address it, the worse things got, and it was awful. Okay, listen, that's bad theology. In context, and I wish I would have done this, I have a Bible college degree, which taught me, you know, context is king, right? Shame. I didn't want to look at the scripture. I didn't want it to make me feel worse than I already did. So I didn't go there. Oh, I'm such a horrible pastor. But that was the truth, right? So when I got into scripture and I was like, wait a second, context, what are you talking about? He says, listen, if you owe people money, pay it back. He doesn't say don't owe people money. He says if you have it, pay it back, right? He said, but there's one thing that you can't pay back. There's something that you can't ever say is paid in full. And guess what that is? Love. Isn't that great? I mean, the point of the passage is our heart, our nature. Are we the type of people? Is the church here about caring for God, loving God first, and loving other people because of it? That's the point of it. It says that you can't, as a Christian, ever say, I've loved enough. I've loved you enough. You've been paid off, right? So I don't care about you anymore. It says there's a debt that we all owe each other. God loves us, has forgiven us, has given us grace, and guess what? We have to give each other continual grace, love, right? We have to choose each other above ourselves, right? We have this perpetual thing that we owe God, but it means we owe one another this thing of loving one another. That's what the context of that was. In passage, though, I mean, in the, in the context, really, if I was going to take to it, it doesn't say debt's a sin. It says, listen, if you have debt, pay it off. Be responsible with it. If you are here today and you've been beat up by people because you have debt and you think that you have to be you have to hide it, you're not alone. But I'll tell you what, let's take the Bible for what it says. Debt itself is not a sin. It's something that it's not a great way to live. The Bible has lots of other things to say about it, but let's address it for what it is, right? You do not have to repent of debt. Maybe there were some sinful attitudes that led you into debt. That happens sometimes. So let's address it for those are. But this is not an issue of shame. Right? This is not an issue of shame. And plus, our God is not a God of shame, even if you have sin, right? Isn't he a God? That's why he went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins so you can be absolutely forgiven. So that when we mess up in life, and all of us do pretty much every day, right? we can go to him and say without shame that we have been forgiven. And God can say, but you know what? I've got some character that needs some change, and God can help us. This is not an issue of shame. Second thing we want to do, recognize the Bible does not say it's a sin to loan money, Right? And there are some people right now in the world who have this, they, they have taken the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have turned it into a, a social uh, gospel, right? And they have said it's a sin to, to, owe, to, to borrow money, right? So they say, well, then it must be a sin to loan people money. Or if you have enough money to loan out, then you are sinful. You should have just given it away. That's, that's stupid, right? If you have a savings account, you're loaning the bank money at a really lousy rate, by the way, but you're loaning the bank money. That's not wrong. Even Jesus said he was giving an illustration about talents that God has given us, right? The one had five, doubled it, he had 10, right? Well, how do you think he did that? He invested it, right? He had three, invested it. The guy who had one buried it, and then the master comes back and is like, you are wicked and horrible. You should have at least put it in the bank. I could have at least got interest. That's loaning money, Interest. That's what happens. Jesus even taught. That was not a sin according to Jesus, apparently. Loaning money isn't wrong. You know what is wrong? Charging usury. It's being abusive in your lending. When you take money and you, and you choose to add greed to it, and you say that my money is more important than the person, that's wrong. That's called greed. When I say, listen, I've got money, and I'm going to charge you so much interest that you will never be able to pay this off, 
That's called usury, and it is a sin. And Christians should never have a part of that. But in and of itself, if you lend somebody money, that's not sinful, but it is something that you have to say, well, is it always wise just because it's permitted? <laughs> All right? Okay, so the next thing that we find that uh, is it doesn't, it's not uh, wise to borrow, right? Just because it's permitted doesn't mean it's good. The Bible uh, does ne- never says it's a wise idea to borrow money. This is important because if you listen to the radio, like I do as you're driving up and down, you know, from work and back or whatever, you're going to eventually, every three, six months, you're going to hear somebody come on the radio that says, hey, join me at this hotel where I'm going to teach you how to make millions with somebody else's money, right? You're going to get all kinds of real estate or you're going to do this kind of thing uh, and you're... And it's not your money, you just borrow it, and then you make money. That's what Dave Ramsey did, right? He had $4 million and then lost it all. It didn't work so well for him, right? Sometimes, some people, financial pundits, will say that you need to leverage your way to prosperity. What that means, leverage, is using somebody else's money to invest in my own kind of thing, right? Now, sometimes people take out business loans and things like this. It's not a sin to you, but you have to recognize that there's a risk to it, Right? But to build your entire financial plan on borrowed money, Scripture never says it's a wise idea. So when people tell you get rich quick using other people's stuff, be very cautious, right? That's in contradiction to how God says that we should operate and use our money, right? So it doesn't say it's wise to borrow. All right. Now, the Bible also uh, doesn't say that God will bail you out. This is important for us, too. When my wife and I first started taking steps to financial freedom, right, we wanted to honor God. Now, we had all of this debt, right? This, we had this, all this medical debt, and then how we spent our money trying to pay off the medical debt got us in all kinds of other debt, and it was just bad. It was an ugly picture, right? So it was bad. So when we, we, we started tithing and all that kind of stuff, we was like, God, we're going to put you first. There was this, this wrong expectation that we had that God would just make it all disappear, that's not a biblical expectation. Think about this. Uh, consequences help change our behavior, don't they? You know, consequences aren't bad things. We're not being punished for it. Just because God uh, is not going to, uh, uh, you know, he's going to help us in all those things doesn't mean that he's going to remove the consequences of, of what got us there in the first place. Because if he did, how would we change our, beha- our habits and behaviors? How would we learn anything? Can you think of a parent, if they had a child, and every time the child messed up, the parent felt just by being a good parent, what they had to do is just clean up the kid's mess and make sure there's no consequences. What would happen if that kid lived their entire life never having consequences for bad behavior? Would they ever get better? I mean, they'd grow up and they'd be a mess, wouldn't they? I just got back. I spent three days with other coaches. I was at a football coaching clinic, and it was great. And it was an awesome thing that was there in this coaching clinic as we is we learned that, that coaching is not a class, right? When I, when I have football players, I don't send them to the football class. I don't teach them about the offense. We have this thing called practice, right? And they go into practice, and one of the best ways that you can learn at practice is by making a mistake and being embarrassed, right? Because then all of a sudden you have motivation not to have that happen again, right? So let's say that you, you didn't pick up the guy you're supposed to block and he knocks you down. That consequence will teach you, doesn't it? It is the same thing here. God is a good and a loving father. He's going to help us walk through those consequences, but he has no theological obligation to bail you out. Right? He will use this to help you out. Now, there is a promise that helps us with this. It says Philippians 4, and we memorized this a little while back. It says, and God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Right? God will help us. As you go through, you got yourself into this, you don't get my help. No, God will be there. He will help you through it. He's just not going to bail you out. 
So don't expect it. Now, occasionally God does miracles. But don't have this wrong Christianized expectation. I'm going to follow God in this and now all my troubles go away. Now, recognize that God enters into your troubles with you. And he helps change you from the inside of those so that you can over, be more than an overcomer. So that way, not only do you, do you not have to fear those problems again, but oftentimes you avoid them and you can help other people. You can give them hope. All right, so that's what the Bible doesn't say. What does the Bible actually say about debt? I'm going to give you three important biblical concepts that will help us what the Bible says on that. And so about, uh, that will help us think about our, our borrowing and, and our uh, decisions with how we interact with debt. The first thing that we recognize the Bible says uh, about debt is that we must repay our debts, okay? As Christians, there's no way that we're supposed to... says this, it says, the wicked borrow and do not repay. I don't know how much more clear it could be, right? If you borrow money, you need to pay it back. You borrow money from a friend, pay it back. You borrow money from your parents, pay it back. You borrow money from a bank, pay it back. Now, does that mean that uh, it's wrong for Christians to go into bankruptcy? No, not necessarily, but how you, how, what you do with that, it really does. Of seven years ago, my wife and I, we had to get a medical bankruptcy, right? It was our, uh, the bills, the, the cost of paying the bills was more than I make. It was impossible for us to move ahead with that, right? So we went through bankruptcy, but guess what? Just because the court said I didn't have to pay back the money doesn't mean that obli- I didn't have an obligation to pay back the money, right? So once we were set free, we still had to, because we were following God, pay back every dollar that we borrowed. And then after, was it five years? We paid back every dollar that we borrowed. It was fantastic. We didn't do it because the court told us we had to do it. We did it because it's the right thing to do. And I don't know if there was somebody in that, that, those, those uh, hospitals that we had owed all this money to that was there that saw these checks come in and saw them come in every single month and like, why are these? Because we couldn't write our account on there anymore because our account disappeared once you have bankruptcy. I don't know if it made a difference in their faith or their life, but I'll tell you what it made a difference for us, that we saw God carry us out of this, and we were able to act with integrity. If you borrow money, pay it back. Okay? The second thing that we see here is that, uh, that debt is risky, right? Debt is just risky. That's one of the reasons why God warns us not to get into debt unless we absolutely have to. The reason the Bible warns us that debt is risky is because it's warning us against presuming upon the future, right? In James, the book of James, chapter 4, we read this. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we make a profit, whereas you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away? Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And why does it say that we are not to presume upon the future? Well, in just in case you missed it, I highlighted it right there in the middle. It says, for you do not know what will happen tomorrow. When we borrow money, you are making a promise based upon what's going to happen in the future. But none of us know the future. Right? That's, that's a big deal. Right? And so when we do that, we recognize that there's a huge risk to it. Right? And so... What it warns us is that we should really be cautious. We should set our plans to God. We should ask Him. It doesn't say that we shouldn't borrow, but it says, listen, if you're going to recognize there's a huge risk to it, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? So go into it with your eyes wide open. Third thing is this, is that it's foolish to put yourself in a surety situation. Now, if it's foolish to enter debt on your own, just unwisely, we're supposed to go into debt with our eyes wide open, it's absolutely foolish to go into debt for somebody else, and that's what surety is. 
Surety is when you guarantee somebody else's debt. We call that co-signing oftentimes in our own culture. Like uh, I'll say, this person is going to pay off that debt, and if they don't, I will. I'm going to guarantee their debt, right? Scripture says that is always a bad idea. It is just not smart, right? And yet it's very common. And so uh, we see that in Proverbs chapter 6, the book of wisdom. Look what it says here. It says, my child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee a debt of a stranger, if you, uh, if you have trapped yourself if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, that's a bad thing to do. You don't want to be trapped, right? It's, a, it's not wise to even go into it yourself unless you absolutely have to. It is just really foolish to go into somebody else's debt because you have no control over it, do you? Right? And so Scripture tells us if it's, that we should avoid surety, right? That we should be practice generosity. If you really have somebody that has a need, instead of co-signing for them, if you have the ability and you, God's calling you to, give them a gift. But don't give them, don't co-sign on a loan. Does that make sense? Now, what do you do if you are in a surety situation, right? Well, this passage in context, you go a little further, it says, get out of that as fast as you can. It says, hound that person until they release you from your obligation. Till they say, listen, okay, you don't have to be, you don't have to be my surety on this, right? I'll find somebody else because you are so annoying, right? But, it, but even if they don't do that, it says, then then get out of it as quick as you can, right? Pay the debt. So if you are not able to get out of a surety situation, this is what I'm going to say. Maybe you have like a child, an adult child that's really going through a hard time. You, you co-signed on something. This is how to handle that. You take the money that you promised that you would have in case they didn't come through on their debt, and you put that into an account that you can't touch. And you just assume that they're going to default on their, on their debt, right? And then once they pay their loan off, if they, didn't, if they pay it off, well, then guess what? You get that money back. That's great. But if they don't, you already assumed that it was gone and you kept your word that you were able to guarantee that debt. And then don't do that again. I have seen too many, mostly parents and grandparents in my office, devastated because their relationship with their kids or their grandkids have been devastated because they put up a surety. They said, I'm going to guarantee they're going to pay their rent or they're going to do this or going to do that. And then that kid or grandkid doesn't do it. And now it puts this weird financial awkwardness in that relationship, and it, and it causes all kinds of poison in there. What does the Bible teach us to do with debt, right? We have these things. We say, listen, debt's not a sin, but it's not always, not, it's not like Scripture saying, hey, let's go do it. We recognize that we're not, if we, we find ourselves in debt, that uh, not to, to just presume upon the future, that, uh, but also not to get into debt for other people. Well, what does it say we have debt? Because most of us do. What does the Bible have to say about what, for those of us who are in debt? Well, I'm going to give you three important biblical concepts that will help you with that, what the Bible says, how to do it, and then two bonuses, because I love you. All right, so the first thing that we have that we're going to talk about is that uh, with debt, Scripture says get out of debt as fast as you can. You've got to make this a priority. It's, minimum payments are a lie. Minimum payments keep you trapped, keeps you as a bird in the cage. My wife and I, when we first, we called it minimum payment hell. That's what we called it because we first got into these things, and, and so we had the... Uh, um, all of this uh, medical debt that was there, and then there were things that we, we, we needed, right? We thought we needed, and some of the things we actually did. And so we would look, and we were like, oh, the washing machine is broken. We had to go buy a new washing machine. Well, I can't afford a new washing machine, but I can afford the minimum payment, right? So we get the minimum payment on that. And then we got another minimum payment, like a car payment. And then we got another, right? So all those things added up. Instead of looking at in our, what we could afford, we were looking at how much of debt we could take on and still pay, you know, before the money ran out. Well, the thing was, we... 
borrowed against the future, right? Interest rates changed, and then we were in trouble, right? The thing is, is that debt puts you in that risky thing. The Bible says if you are in debt, even though it's not a sin to be there, it's stupid to stay there, right? You got to get out as quickly as you can. Proverbs 6, 5, that same passage that says don't put up surety, this is the attitude that it says if you are in that kind of, if you are in debt, your, your own debt or somebody else, it says this, save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from the net, okay? This is a life and death situation. You hear that? This is, save yourself, right? Financially, you got to run for your life. You got to get out of there, right? Debt is a monster and it's eating away at your everything that you work so hard for. It makes you a slave. You got to kill that debt. You got to get intense about it. You say, this debt is going down and I'm not going to feed it anymore. That's what you got to do. You save yourself. And if you don't have the attitude to do that, it will crush you. That's why scripture is not just being quiet about this. The book of wisdom says, run. You got to get out of it. This has got to be our mentality, right? If you have this mentality that debt is okay, the minimum payments are tolerable, they are sucking you dead. And they are stealing God's money that he has designed to bless you and that you should be able to overflow and be a blessing to others. You've got to kill it. That's what it says, right? The budget does. Tells us how to do it. So how do we start? You start here with your heart. Debt is not a head game. Not first. We've got to start here. Guess what? Jesus knows your heart. He loves you. Right? you get out of debt and your heart is still materialistic, your heart is still greedy, your heart is still filled with fear, it still just loves money because it looks to money to, to take care of your problems, getting out of debt will make your heart worse. You're in debt now. You're already paying the tuition. Get the lesson. Get the education. Get the benefit of it. Let God change your heart. Recognize that your money was never what defines you. In fact, look what Jesus says in Luke. He says, then again, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus starts with the heart. Too many of us define ourselves, find our identity in how much we have. That is foolish. God says the world belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. You belong to him, and he calls you his child. You are heavenly royalty. And right now, we are on mission. But our treasure... Our mansion <laughs> is awaiting us. Do not define yourself by this world. It's far too small. Your life is so much more than what you have. How many people have committed suicide because they lost things? That's silly. How many people have destroyed their relationships because money problems? have had their marriages destroyed or their kids hate them or or feeling abandoned by their parents because of money, have lost friendships over things. Just understand that that's not freedom. If we define ourselves by what we have, what we have is what really defines us. I would rather be defined by my Heavenly Father, my God who says that I can love anybody, or that I have intrinsic value and worth, I have purpose. If we begin with this, is you have to look at what you have as a blessing, as an opportunity. God does not love the rich more or the poor more, right? And there are camps in Christianity that love to point at the people that are on the other side of that spectrum and judge the other. God loves his children, and he will equip and tool you. Isn't that what the promise says? Do not love money. For God has said, 
that I'm never going to fail you, I'm never going to abandon you. God is with you. Start with your heart. Today, the Lord is with you. God loves you, cares for you. You have today what you need. You have today what it takes to not only survive, but to, be, to learn to be content. To learn to trust God, right? And to see him in your life now. If you can't be faithful in your life today, you will never be faithful tomorrow, right? Be faithful with what you have. Start here with your heart. Okay, the next thing that we have is what to do with that. Is you have to fight materialism with contentment, right? That verse that we have, it says, how do we fight this, this wave of, of the materialism? It says, don't love money. That's materialism. How? Be satisfied with what you have. This is really powerful. This is stuff that changes people's entire destinies and really generations when you get it. You understand that there's an entire industry that makes billions of dollars. Their job is to talk you out of your money. It's all advertising. And they get paid a lot of money to do it. And they do a lot of research. They, they, they look into our lives and they, and they research us like rats, right? They're really good at manipulating us to make us get rid of what we, we be discontent with what we have. So that we buy things that we don't really need right? So that we can, you know, uh, impress people that we don't even know. You have the superpower to resist it. It's called contentment. And contentment begins with an actual belief that God really has already today given you what you need. When Amy and I first started doing this, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm the spender. And, uh, and so uh, I see things and I'm like, oh, if I just had that, I would be happy. And then I would get that thing, and it was thrilling to buy it, and then you have it, and then you're like, I'm just as happy as I was before. But now I have one more thing I've got to take care of, right? And so when we began to change how we spent, one of the things that we did in our budget is before we would make any kind of bigger purchase, we would talk it through, and we would give ourselves a waiting period. And it's amazing after a day or two, like, you say, I, I'm not going to buy this thing today. I feel like I need to buy it today, right? So, so I say, wait, step back, step away from the panic. The world's not going to end. You're going to live tomorrow, even if you don't have that. How often it is is I was like, actually, I didn't really need that thing. Occasionally, we did, but then we didn't buy it at the worst price, so we didn't buy it in a way that felt like we weren't looking for the wrong thing. See, one of the ways that, that advertisers manipulate you is they make you feel like it's a limited time offer, don't they? They make it feel like if you don't act now, this is the last time you get to act. If you don't act now, then you missed out, right? Guess what? They'll sell you the gizmo tomorrow. They will. But, they, but they'll make it feel like you've got to do it now. They sent this panic in you. If I don't act right this minute, I wasn't prepared to, but if I don't do it right now, then I've missed out and the world's going to end. No, it won't. If you can step back and say, if I never get that thing, I'm okay. Sociologists who are really funny people because some of the stuff that they do, but this was uh, this um, experiment that the sociologists did with monkeys, which I thought was so funny, is they, they took these monkeys and they had them in two different pens, right? Little groups of monkeys. The first group of monkeys, they gave like nuts or something like that, like something that monkeys liked, a treat. And the monkeys got these, and the ones that were in the other pen didn't get the, the, the peanuts first, right? And so the ones that got the peanuts were like, ha-ha, we got the peanuts, right? And they were having a good time with it. And then the monkeys in the other cage, they got brought figs, and bananas or something like monkeys really love, right? And so, so they gave them the, the better treat, right? And so the monkeys now that had the figs, the bananas, were like, oh, this is the life and all that. But the first monkeys, the ones that had the nuts that were so happy, they saw the other ones having the figs and the peanuts, and all of a sudden they weren't happy with the peanuts anymore, right? They, they, they got to see all, they were like, why did we get the fruit? And they got really mad, and they started just throwing the peanuts, and they got... 
They were like, this is not good. Who gave us this trash? Right? Aren't we that way? We have been given so many great things. Every one of you here today looks fairly well fed. Every one of you today has clothes on. We praise God for that. Right? Every single one of us got here somehow. You've got transportation. You are alive today. God is caring for you. And I tell you what, that our standard of living for most of us in this room far exceeds that of most people in history. That we've been given more than peanuts. And yet we looked at one another and we say, well, God gave them figs. I'm not going to take these peanuts. Right? Don't let that envy rob you of the joy of the things that God has given you. Right? We have God's word. It helps us. Don't love money. Be satisfied. Be satisfied. Learn to be satisfied. If you are not satisfied with what you have today, you will never be satisfied, ever, no matter with what you have. You will always be chasing an unattainable thing. So, fight materialism. You're never going to get out of debt until you have God be able to help us, to help you, change you from the inside, to learn to be content, trusting that He is with you. He's not abandoning you. He's not going to fail you. You have exactly what you need today to be faithful, to live, to be successful. Do exactly what you need. Okay. I told you two bonuses. These are two things that will help you get out of debt once you're in that. I took these from, uh, from uh, Dave Ramsey and from others, and they are so helpful. The first one is you've got to build a cushion. You have to start with your heart. Now here's some practical things that you can do. Get a savings going, okay? You have to have a cushion. Amy and I made this mistake over and over again. We wanted to get out of debt so bad that we oftentimes, if we had any extra, we would take feeding a whale, you know, like these tiny little sardines, right? It just like, and it would be gobbled up and it'd be gone. And then we would have nothing to cover any other expenses that would happen in life. And guess what? Life happens. So we needed to have an emergency fund. There'd be things like, uh, I, 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 had the, I needed a root canal, right? Well, you don't have money for root canal, I can get super expensive, right? Well, if you spend all your money trying to pay off all your debts and now you have no reserve, guess what you have to do? You put that on the worst kind of, of, of loan possible, which is called a credit card. That's dumb, right? Or the car breaks down because cars know when you don't have money, right? And then they also know when you do have money and they take it, right? Cars are just as smart like that. If you don't have a savings account, you are going to be in problems, right? So this is what you do. The first thing you have to do is set up an emergency fund. This is amazing how much it helped us. Start with $1,000. That might seem like huge, but I guarantee you can save up $1,000 pretty darn quick if you make it, like, you get intense about it, okay? You have to have an emergency fund. Once you have 1000 then you're going to work on some other ways you build that up to three months, six months, and, and it's very, very helpful. The bigger you have that cushion helps you make sure that you stop the problem so you don't potentially just keep getting in debt because that's emotionally fatiguing, isn't it? You feel like you're, gonna, you're getting out of debt and all of a sudden a huge thing comes up and now I get in bigger debt? That's just emotionally crushing. It makes us give up. Don't. Build a cushion. So start with that first. Um, there's tools that we have on our website. If you go to the fundchurch.com, you go click the Give button. There's some tools down there that will help you how to plan that even better. Join Financial Peace University. They've got better tools, and they've also got some coaching to help you get into that. How do you do this? The next thing um, that you want to do after you build a cushion is something called Snowball. Okay, Snowballing. So I use that because in um, Colorado, we have snow sometimes in Estes, even. And uh, here's this concept. Remember like when it snowed and then you wanted to build a, uh, you want to build a snowman because it's super fun? Okay. And there's two ways of going about it. You pile up all the snow into like one big spot, right? And then you just carve the snowman out of it. And that's for losers, right? 
the right good way of making a snowman is you start with a snowball, right? You pack it down, and then you start rolling that in the snow, right? And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, like the more it rolls, and it just picks up more, and it just gets bigger. That's what I'm talking about, right? Snowball. So how you do this? Let's say you take your debts, and you list them out, how much you owe on each of those debts, and then also their, their minimum payments, right? So however many they are, you, you just list them out, and then you put them in order from the smallest debt that you have to the largest debt. Not from the smallest monthly payment, but just the smallest debt that you have to the largest debt, okay? List them out. The only debt you're going to attack, the only one that you're going to kill, because you can't fight all of them at once, right? It's like, uh, have you ever seen a, a movie like has a bar fight, and there's like a thousand people, and then uh, that's like not real life? Like if everybody attacked them all at once, they'd be dead? Okay, if you attack all of your debts at once, it's like a bar fight where everybody comes at you. You're going to die, okay? You have to intense. You, you focus on one, you take them out, and then you get the next biggest guy, that's what we do. So this is what we do. You start with, the, you pay minimum payments on all of yours, you pay off your smallest debt. Now, hopefully you've got a little bit of extra cushion that you're in your budget that you can stick towards that. You budget towards, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stab that debt just a little bit more every month, right? So you pay down that debt as quick as you can. Once you have that first debt paid off, that's not a raise for you, right? That's just a bigger stick to beat your, your next biggest or smallest debt with, right? So you take your payment you, that you were giving to that first debt, and you apply all of that as an extra payment to your second largest debt or your second smallest debt. It makes sense. So you just add it on there. And then what happens is now you're paying a whole bunch extra, right, to that, that second debt. And once you pay that second debt off, then you take all of that that you were paying on the second debt to the third debt. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've had a gal that was in our church here that uh, a couple of years ago, she paid off her house in a year and a half. That's, that's pretty aggressive. Most people, it takes, you know, maybe five to seven years to be able to do that, but it's possible, right? You can pay off your debts. You can actually see them. But the fun part is you get to see debts die, and that is fun. When you see a debt that you had and you killed it off, you go, it's a party, right? And then that next month when you write that extra funds into the, the next one that you have going, it just feels good, right? There's a power to it. So snowball, you have to have a plan. How do you do that? Tools on our website. Uh, we've got a finance team here at the Christian Church. If you want somebody to help counsel you through it, but all I could say is uh, financial peace will give you the bigger picture, and it's got all the tools to really help you with that. So if you have debt, I couldn't encourage you more. Be part of that and, and avail yourself to some of those tools. All right. So through this series, four weeks about worshiping God, putting God at center. If you get good with your money, but you don't get good with God, you missed the point, Okay. Let's put God at center. Let's start with that. First thing, God is owner, right? We have the right perspective of money. He owns it. He owns me. He owns it all, right? The second thing with that, we've got to be faithful, right? Faithfulness helps us make sure that we are spending God's money to his priorities because God wants his money to be spent in good ways, right? And he helps us. Next with that, we need to have competence. That's getting good with our money, learning how to budget, learning how to invest, learning how to make sure that we are spending God's resources wisely. And today, recognizing that one of the wisest ways the scripture, if you are in debt, is to get out of it. Get out of it quickly. And there are some tools for that. As we do all of these things, we experience greater and greater financial freedom in our lives. Not just so that you can be free, but that you can be a person that testifies of freedom to other people. God didn't just save you. He saved you with a mission. We are disciples of Jesus that build the disciples. Other people, how this guy who lived a long time ago, what he did. No, we talk about the living God who changes our lives today. And as God grants you freedom, you will be able to testify to freedom to other people who live in bondage and who need that freedom so deeply.
So let's begin using this and putting God at center. How do you today, some next steps, how are you going to do that? Take out your connection card. There are four next steps that I can challenge you to take today. Some good things that will be helpful. The first one is memorize Hebrews 13.5. For me, personally, this was a powerful passage because when I was getting sucked into the, 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 the ad agency's trap, I was like, wait, don't love money. Be content with what I have. When I was getting afraid because the debt seemed to be coming in I, and I didn't know what to do and it was taking my breath away, is remember that my God has promised He will never fail me. He will never abandon me. This is a powerful passage that resets us on truth so we can react and actually respond to God and not react to the, care, to the panic around us. Memorize that passage and use it. Quote it back to yourself in times of need. It's powerful. Second one, read 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy is a book about how the church is supposed to operate. It's a great book. And if you have, you know, 20 minutes, you can read the whole thing. It's a great book. But if you are limited in time, uh, we'll address that later on in the year. But right now, just get uh, 1 Timothy 6. Get in there and talk about how the heart change, how God really can be trusted. Spend some time with God's Word this week. If you haven't and you need to, one of those things on there, connection card, is you can join Financial Peace University. If you haven't signed up yet, let us know. Make sure I have your email address. We will get you the material so you can sign up. We're going to be starting this, this Tuesday right here, uh, Tuesday night. Um, and uh, just a reminder, we do have some scholarships available. So if you're worried about how am I going to do this, let us know. The church is here to partner and to serve you, to help you. Last one is, uh, if you haven't yet, I'm going to give you one last chance uh, to join the four-month tithe challenge with the rest of us. The purpose is not to just give our money willy-nilly. It's to appeal to God. It's to say, God, we want to start with faithfulness. If you haven't joined us in that, uh, the almost 50 of us in the church that are doing that, I encourage you to join in. And let me know that you're doing that. One, so I can pray for you, but two, so that way I can also support you. One, we're praying for you, but we have, uh, I've got some materials so, uh, that I want to send you, some, some tools that will really help you in this. And so make sure I have your your, uh, your mailing address and your email address. That would be really good. All right. This is the end of this financial freedom series, but this may be the end of our financial freedom, okay? We're in this together. Let's support one another and pray for another as we build from this. Next week, we're going to start back in the book of Acts as we go back in and we get to see how the kingdom of God advances. And that's not just for the past, but it also talks about some of the things that God's at work today. So I invite you to come back for that. Before we do, let's take our tithes and our offerings. Let's pray and have the worship band uh, close us with some, with some your kingdom, your righteousness, and your provision. Lord, we've uh, been through this series. We dedicate our time and ourselves back to you. Help us to put you at center in our life, starting here now with our, with our money. But Father, as we move ahead, that you prepare our hearts for even greater ways, uh, even greater ways to worship you in spirit and in truth with, with, our, with our lives and with our time. Lord, I pray for the commitments that are being made, that you bless those who are, are stepping out in faith to make a commitment to follow you this week. Help them to find you in that, to experience your grace and the reality of your presence in their life as they do that. And finally, Father, we're going to pray too for our tithes and our offerings. Lord, you take care of your bride so that we can minister to those around us in this community in the name of Christ and in a way that represents you well. Help us with that, Father. Let us spend your resources wisely in a way that brings you glory. And uh, Father, that, that uh, is an expression of your love to this community that we live. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. <laughs>